0: Whatever did happen to Tiny Tim, anyway? Oh. <laughs> oh. Happy Saturday, Tim. Hey, listen, uh, good luck tonight, man. I got an angry letter from a guy last week. He said, "Shepherd, you really loused up my Saturday night. He says, I had it all set up. I was going to really score. It's going to be fantastic. He said, we're riding along in the car, and she insisted on turning your show on. We got all involved in listening to you, and he said, forget it. We got to a long philosophical discussion, wound up in a fist fight. I doubt whether she'll ever speak to me again, and it all came from your rotten, stinking show. So, I mean, you know, hey, listen, uh, speaking of uh, bad news here, I'd like, before we get started here, I'd like to to make a salute here, if I may. Uh, I would like to salute uh, uh, Mayor Frank Burke of uh, Louisville. I don't know whether I should salute him or not, but maybe you have some information. We got a note from Louisville. I don't know why they sent it to me. Anyway, Frank Burke, the mayor of Louisville, was looking at the gambling laws in the state of Kentucky, and the gambling laws of the state of Kentucky forbid such things as keno, faro, cards, and craps, and uns. And, uh... He checked the International Webster's Dictionary and there were 46 words beginning with double O. But there was no Oontz, O-O-N-T-Z, and that is declared illegal in the state of Kentucky, particularly in the city of Louisville. And right now the mayor would like to know if anybody out there knows what Oontz is. He said because it could be very well true that there's a lot of people going around in Louisville Oontzing all over the place and getting by with it because the cop doesn't know that they're breaking the law. You're standing there playing with your own sticks, you know, and you got the ball up in the air, and he doesn't even know it's illegal. So if anybody, if anybody knows what ounce is, O-O-N-T-Z, uh, just let us know. And, of course, being a true killjoy, we'll relay that immediately to the Louisville Police Department to put a stop to all that freelance oonzing. Now, if you will, please, speaking of freelancing, we'd like to tonight take this opportunity on a Saturday night. It's a good time to do it, what we're about to do. Uh, do you have my, uh, the one I have, the big one up there? We'd like to salute our brothers across the sea, the uh, creators of parliamentary law, the bulwarks of Western civilization, the British, please. For all you Anglophiles out there, we'd like to pass along this note of a new development in London. By official decree, chastity belts are not safety devices and are so now subject to taxation in England. The Customs and Excise Tax Office classified the wrought iron belts as in, we quote, minor items of apparel, which are taxable. The belts were in vogue in olden days when knights of the realm fixed them on their wives to protect their virtue, while Hubby was off to the Crusades. Makers of the contraption, which include padlock and two keys, say that they're now enjoying a fantastic boom. They're selling well in the United States and Europe and all over England, and also particularly well in Sweden. Swinging Sweden. The primary producer, a marketing unit for rural craftsmen called the Anne Huggison Organization, tried to fight the tax. But a spokesman for the tax office rejected the claim, and we quote him here. Of course, these belts are not safety devices, he said. They don't save you from a broken neck, do they? Of course not. They're most definitely made for wearing and As such, they will be taxed as wearing apparel. <laughs> All right, thank you. Uh, if you're curious, you'd like to find out about a chastity belt. If you've been a little worried, it's Saturday night. You may, you know, be out on the road and worried a little bit. Robin Hookeson, the firm's spokesman, admitted he was surprised that the belts are saleable as wearing apparel in this jet age when husbands are likely to return home at any time. He said that the company was just making them for gag, you know, offbeat ornaments, a little thing you keep on the coffee table there. He says, you, and we quote here what he said you could do with a chastity belt. He says, you can you can place a potted, a potted plant in them and uh, suspend them like baskets, you know. It's true, I suppose, <laughs> he said. But then he went on, he made this final comment, but when we started getting requests for the belts with vital statistics supplied, we realized that we were being warned, so uh, I don't know. You know what they are, don't you? You don't? Well, that's good. I'm glad you don't. Know. You're my test. Because I'm always worried whenever Art knows what I'm talking about, because at that point I'm on dangerous ground, uh, <laughs> that's true. But uh, So England has now uh, clamped a, a, a uh, tax on chastity belts, and we had thought you ought to know that things are moving along. Uh, speaking of, uh, moving along, there's been a lot of problems recently, uh, in the law, as you know, the law is having a lot of problems, and we would like to salute tonight, as you know, we try to keep up with various sports, and, uh, tonight, if you, have you got my, uh, the second one up there, Arthur? Fine. We would like to salute, once again, now, it's sports time here. Uh, good evening, everyone, it's sports here, there, and everywhere. Mike McBullet reporting from the sports world. And now, sport fans, tonight we would like to salute... We'd like to salute a sportsman down in good old Texas. Mancura Flores, 31, of Old Essa, Texas, has been sentenced to 1,800 years in prison for selling heroin. The sentence broke the old record of 1,500 years, which was set last year in Dallas, Texas. And so, the sports corner tonight would like to salute a new champion, Ventura Flores, of Odessa, Texas, who now holds the heroin in the slam record for one thousand eight hundred consecutive years. And that's gonna take a long time before that record is broken. I'd like to salute Ventura Flores tonight. The sportsman of the night <laughs> Oh man can you imagine the what that guy thinks. A, I, I you know, I, I just, I like to see, uh, I'd like to see the scene, you know, when he arrives. He arrives at the slam, you know. He's already probably there, and he arrives there, and he's, uh, he's sitting in the mess hall. See, Ventura Flores, 31. He's sitting in the mess hall. And there's a hush falls over, the, uh, the prisoners, when Ventura comes in and sits down. He's got his tin cup of watery coffee, and he's got his tin plate there, you know, and it's got the, it's got the, uh, the, the roast beef there on the, uh, you know, the greasy roast beef, and there's a hush, falls over his table, you see, they sit there, these long tables, you've seen these, uh, you've seen slam, enough slam movies to know where they sit and they eat, right? So, uh, it's, it's as close as you've ever gotten to it, I'm sure, Art, and then, nevertheless, the guy down at the end, the guy at the end says uh, to it, you know, to his fellow con next to me, he says, hey, you know what that is? And the guy sitting next to him says, "Why? Wow, he just looks like another little guy. What do you mean? He says, That's the champ. He's the champ. What do you mean, champ? He says, Don't you know who that is? That's Flores. He just set the world record. And the second one says, What world? What do you mean, world record? What world record are you talking about? He's got 1,800 consecutive years. Do you realize? You only got life. Manny, he's got 1,800 years. That's 18 centuries. And the second guy says, Holy cry! what did he get it for? Well, he's been on heroin and stuff, you know? H. And they sit for a moment and look down at the champ, the big champ, set the new world's record. And somewhere, of course, in Dallas is an ex record holder who's only in for 1,500 years, which is kind of a come-down, you know, when you hear that your record's been broken it only stood for seven weeks, in case you're curious. No doubt another judge is getting ready to break that one. <laughs> you know, I don't know what I'm laughing at. I mean, it just seems to be so unbelievable that a guy is sentenced to 1,800 years. I mean, wowee. You know, uh, speaking of uh, of the annals of crime, there's all kinds of new crimes, you know, coming up. And uh, yeah, with with the new uh, with the new technology, there's all kinds of fantastic crimes. And since uh, maybe, have you ever heard of, of computer stealing? Have you heard of of, of, of a, robbing a computer? You can actually rob a computer, you know, if you know how to do it. And yes, you can. And in fact, uh, one of the very first cases on record just happened in Oakland, California. A 29-year-old computer company expert has been accused of dialing into the mechanical brain run by a rival firm and stealing secret information by phone. Anyway, police said Hugh Jeffrey Ward, who works for the University Computing Company of Palo Alto, California, has been charged with grand theft. Now that's theft. That's a fascinating idea. He called up the computer and the computer gave him this information and he's charged with theft. Detective Sergeant Terry Green said the looted computer was a UNIVAC at Information Systems Design, Inc. of Oakland, California. He said, Information Systems became suspicious. One of its legitimate customers received some unordered information, and the UNIVAC began spitting out data cards without any apparent reason. You know, just spitting, you know, and they said, what the hell is going on here? And uh, Information System rents its computer services on a time basis, firms calling are supposed to identify themselves with a special code and a special account number when dialing the UNIVAC. Well, Green indicated that a highly secret trade decision was taken from the UNIVAC. Well, now, Green said a check of all the phone records showed a call had been made from Ward's firm in Palo Alto at exactly the same time the unauthorized data was stolen from the computer. Now, now wait a minute! Now, did you hear about? You, oh, this this is a this is a very involved new crime. Now, here, he, he, what did he steal? Actually, you see, when you he didn't steal anything physical. No way, he got information. And I suspect that there's a lot of that stuff going on. Well, did you hear about the kid down in Florida here not long ago who learned how he has perfect pitch? This kid, and uh, he could dial any long distance number he wanted. By producing with his, sound, his voice the sound, you know that boop, boop 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 boop, and the next thing you know, he's got uh, Greenland on the phone. See, <laughs> did you hear about that? <laughs> and this kid, he studied it. See, you know that's a, the really good crooks study. They don't just come out, you know, with a Roscoe and say, "Hand it over." The really good ones study it, and this kid studied these sounds for a long time. And uh, he would he would uh, you know, listen to him on the phone, he would dial things and he would hear these sounds. And then he tried it himself. And his first one, his first uh fake call, he went boop 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 and he got Louisville. A number in Louisville. And went right through. Well, he was trying to dial St. Louis, so he re- <laughs> you see, he, had, he was off a little bit, so, so he dialed he dialed St. Louis to get the real sound, say, and then he he, he put it on his tape recorder. He was, a little, you know, he was a smart kid. He put it on his tape recorder, and then he practiced it, say, and then he went, boop, 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 zap, St. Louis. Well, this kid had memorized like 45 different, uh, what do they call them, area codes? And he could get numbers all over and not be charged a cent, see. The phone company starts that beeping and all that stuff. And so uh, this kid sit down and he'd just pick up the phone see? and say, and he go boop, 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 boop. And the next thing you know, he's talking to California, see. And his, his mother never knew it, see. She just thought he was, you know, making him funny sounds. That's all. And, uh, <laughs> oh, man. Well, I mean, you know, uh, th- then there was another kid. Of course, this one, this one was really something. There was another kid. This was kind of sad. You know, like especially when kids are, are uh, hanging around at home and they're babysitting, they get very itchy. They do some wild stuff when babysitting. See, so this kid is at home babysitting, and uh, he sees the phone over there, and he keeps looking at the phone, and he's watching television, and he sees Steve Allen on the TV there. See, so uh, it's a it's a tape show. See, it's Steve Allen. So with that, he picks up the phone, and he just did it. He picks up the phone. He says, he want he to talk to Steve Allen in Hollywood, California. Well, of course, they they say, uh, they yes. Would you please tell us where your local area there, please? No, I don't know his number, but get the Steve Allen in uh, Hollywood. With that, they put it through, and the next thing you know, the kid is talking to Steve Allen. And Allen says, "What well, what do you want? The kid says, well, I'm I'm to call him from uh, Pittsfield, New Jersey. Yeah, well, what do you want, kid? Well, uh, uh, well, well uh, I saw you on television yeah okay thank you kid well that happens you know when you're on radio or tv kids constantly so he hangs up that night this kid placed fourteen thousand seven hundred dollars worth of telephone calls bum you know what happened as a result of it nobody knew of course i mean at home see uh, he just did it. He was having a ball. He talked to, you know, he, he called up the president. I mean, he got the secretary of state or something. He was, he was thinking, of he called up the Beatles and, the, he he's sitting there calling up all, everybody. And, uh, of course, the half of them were in Shanghai, places like that. So they, they were making a movie in Greece and so on. So anyway, he finally, he finally, uh, he, after, after about three hours of this, he put in 14, you realize how much he must have called? 14,000. So, uh he didn't say anything about it. His uh, you know the parents came home and everything was cool. Is it uh, everything okay here? Bobby? Yeah. What did you do? Watch television. Oh, okay. And uh, the kids are all right? Yeah. Did the Johnny take his cough syrup? Yeah. And That's all there was to it. Until the first of next month. And they got a bill for 14 grand. Well, of course, they flip. you know. Said, what the hell is it? You know, obviously, the phone company's done it to us again, you know. And they call up the phone company. And says, no, we've got the, you, you made these calls. These calls were placed on this night. Here they are, uh, called Mr. Eddie Fisher, uh, Pitcairn, Pennsylvania. Here's a call here to, uh, to Elizabeth Taylor. It was made, uh, Miss Elizabeth Taylor. It was made uh, to uh, London. Oh, yes, and here's one here, to, to uh, Paris, uh, to a Mr. Sonatera, Mr. Frank Sonatera. <laughs> and, of course, they put the kid on a rack. And uh, he conceded. He did all this. Well, you know what they had to do? You got to hear this. This really gets sickening. Fourteen thousand dollars they owed the phone company. Well, they had to get a second mortgage on their home. And well, you know, fourteen grand is not easy for the average walking around guy to raise. That's a lot of scratch. So they had to get a second mortgage on their home, <laughs> which they did. And they they laid fourteen thousand seven hundred dollars on the phone company. And uh, now the old man's got three jobs. His wife is working in the morning. Uh, the kids have taken in washing now, and, uh, you know, the whole scene, you know. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you've, uh, oh, yeah, you know, you just can't. I I, uh, I tell you, uh, a phone, a phone is a, is, a, is a symbolic thing anyway in our time. And, and, uh, and you know, some people hate telephones. Other people love them. And uh, to the people who hate telephones, they're afraid they're going to catch them in general the average guy who hates a telephone is always afraid that that call will arrive and uh... i would say that uh, probably fifty percent or better of the average walking around guys today are leading very complicated lives lives which they would prefer not to have other people know about Do you agree with that art highly complex lives i mean the I mean, uh, if there's an old hillbilly song uh, that goes about that, you know, you're just slipping around. I can't tell you're just slipping around, slipping around on me. Well, uh, this is a fact. So the one area, the one thing that uh, that looks dangerous to most guys is the phone. And it is. Oh, listen, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, a friend of mine had a fantastic thing happen one day. Oh, this guy, uh, this guy was slipping around, see, and uh, he's, he's, you know, he's got about five girlfriends on the, on the side, you know, and at, at home he's a very official type guy, and he's playing it straight and cool, and he knows he's got everything figured out, you know. And, uh, and one day, he's at this chick's apartment, see, and uh, a terrible thing happened. He, he, was, uh, he went down to the store to get some beer or something, see, and when he did, uh, he, he left his wallet on the table there, and, uh, she ran down to get him and, and uh, give him the wallet. She said, you forgot your, your girlfriend, you know, you can't get the beer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, he did not realize at the moment that something un- unbelievably bad had happened. What had happened? Now, he had a, he had an unlisted number, you know, whole bit, see. What had happened was in his wallet, he had left a phone bill that he was about to pay. And it had, as you know, have you ever looked at your phone bill? It has your number on it. Well, this chick decided to take a note of that number, see, and if she ever wanted to really get him in a hurry, see, like if the test came back and it was positive or something, uh, then she'd give him a call. <laughs> well, one day, <laughs> one day, <laughs> I'm telling you what happened. This is, uh, you know, it's the kind of stuff that really curls your hair. One day... He's, he's, he's sitting there, see, and there, and of all times to have it happen, it was Thanksgiving. And they're having a Thanksgiving dinner, the whole bit, see, and the kids are there, grandma and everything, there, you know, and everybody's uh, cheering and singing. When the phone rings, and he didn't think anything about it, so, because, uh, you know, he had this on, he felt he had this all cool, he had this all nicely uh, covered over, see, the phone rings, and this kid picks it up, one of his kids, hello. Oh, you mean Daddy? Oh, well, yes, he's my Daddy. Oh, and of course, in the meantime, he, the, the old man is sitting there. He's carving a turkey, and everybody's singing. See, and he hears this little conversation. All of a sudden, he don't mind. It must be something. Wait a minute. And with that, his his wife, who was in the next room, says, Well, "Just a minute, uh, Johnny. Whatever his name is, I'll take that call. It's all right." And uh, she picks up the phone. She says, "Hello. Who?" Oh, this uh, this is uh, Mrs. Uh, Applerot. Yes. Oh, you oh you want to you want to talk to Frank? Well, yes, yes, that was his son uh, Johnny that had answered. Yes. Well, who are you, by the way? Oh, oh, well, I'll tell him uh, just a moment. A uh, uh, Frank. Marsha's on the phone. Ah, bum ba two years later <laughs> two years later my friend is paying out like1200 uh, dollars a month alimony <laughs> And you know what's worse it's just always the way uh, and this happens with guys I mean it's always it always is the way. what do you think he did? the insane fool? After that hit the fan, you know, and man, I'll tell you, he was caught in a wearing blender for sure, you know. He, just, he was blended right down into carrot juice on that one, say. And it really did. It, it really hit the fan. And what do you think he did? Well, he did what all fools do. He married Marcia, which was an incredible mistake because one year later, Marcia got a phone call. And so on and on and on it went. I mean, <laughs> this guy is walking bent over this guy has not had his head more than three inches above the pavement now in five years. He is paying alimony to wives in six states. And he still has a phone, the insane nut. I mean, <laughs> So uh, the telephone can really get you into trouble. I mean, I shouldn't be talking about this on the air. I'm probably scaring a lot of guys. I can just see guys listening to the radio, and you know, they're driving along, and it's coming out of the loudspeaker there, and the guys all of a sudden get the real scared feeding down in his gut he quickly tries to change the station, say. And his wife says, uh... Wait a minute, I'm listening to that. He's honest not He he's, what is he, you yeah, know. She's, wait, I want to hear what he says. And he says, okay, all right. And three minutes later, she's what? what is he talking about? You mean, you mean, you mean are there are guys that dishonest in this world? Says, ah, you know, he's just talking. Kind of nut on radio. Let's get WP-18 gets a good music. What are you saying, huh, baby? <laughs> oh, I know all about that, man. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you the life. Uh, you can always uh, you can always order a chastity belt if you want to from Britain. Yeah, and put it over the top of your head. I think, guys, listen, I'm serious. You know, you're right, Art. That was very true. It's very true. Uh, I think more guys talk themselves into trouble than any other single way of getting into bad trouble. Do you agree, Art? I mean, your your you know your old old motor mouth keeps his mouth blabbing. <laughs> you know, the next thing you know, man, it it hits the fan, and you just gotta when you're when you're a double agent, you know, and and any guy out there that's playing around, slipping around, as they say, the hillbillies, you know, sing about this stuff. I don't want to call them hillbillies. The country and western singers, they deal with reality. You know, they it's like not like Cole Porter. You know, all this romantic stuff. They they sing about slipping around, and uh, you know the way it really is. And I suspect that most guys who are doing that. Listen, I I knew a guy. Now, now, now we're getting into something here. I shouldn't really open this can of peas, but but I knew a guy. Now, you know, you you, you hear about you constantly hear about guys that get get in trouble at the office. You know, they're stealing money or or uh, they got a little embezzling going on the side. Well, generally, what happens? Any time they find that, uh, you know, Charlie uh, Gutstop has run away with $340,000 for the company funds, they know there is a chick involved. The police notice instantly. I mean, it is always the case. It is never otherwise. It is always the case. Now, <laughs> so, the trick, of course, is always to find a, the, find a girl, find this woman, see? Well, almost invariably, what the guy does, for some nutty reason, he winds up on a racetrack in Miami that there are more guys standing around in the sun in Miami at the racetracks that have just left, you know, with $340,000 from Clam Bay, Connecticut, you know, the fourth national bank and trust company there. And uh, up to this point, they were very straight guys, according to the neighbors. There's always very straight guys. They can't understand why Mr. Applerot did it. And they can't understand it, why he was the pillar of our society. Well, what they didn't know was that Mr. Applerot started that at the age of nine and he's been continuing it ever since once you're a slipper arounder you are a slipper arounder and there ain't no way listen I I knew guys when I and uh, I'm a, you know let's face it uh, we're all human you know <laughs> I knew guys when I was in grade school that had three chicks on a string constantly simultaneously oh you know uh, you're you're dating uh, esther Jane and you really got big eyes for Eileen acres and uh, so you finally get a date with Eileen acres you know and you start going around with Eileen acres and you still sort of hang on to Esther Jane, and, uh, it's, it's the jackdaw principle. Many men cannot let go of a woman. It's a possession. Do you agree with this art? And they can't let go of the old one, see? They got uh, And so they wind up with about five of them clinging to them like grapes. And, uh, the, the, the trouble is to, is to keep them from finding out. Well, uh, I knew a guy who had to get jobs. He, he was working with about three different companies not because he was uh, you know so hard working i mean he wasn't the, he wasn't the type of guy that had uh, ambition you know why he had to, had to work like hell well because he was maintaining four separate apartments have you ever paid rent on four separate apartments well <laughs> this guy I will tell you he was a he was busier than than you know he was busier than five paper paper hangers with one arm you know he was running around and and to keep it juggling all the time, and he it was a fantastic job, and so to, to three of them, the girls that he was uh, making a scene with and living in these apartment, and by the way, all in the same time, which was a fantastic way. I mean, that 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 is really dangerous, as a, as later events subsequently proved. Uh, yes, oh, terrible. I mean, gunfire, the whole business. I don't want to go into that, but uh, nevertheless, this guy had everything going at once. You see, he uh, he. Uh, had these two, three girls all all uh, living separately in different apartments, and he had given them all different names. Also, he had different jobs. He had uh, on, for three of them, he was on the road all the time. See, he only got home on Wednesdays, and uh, <laughs> well, of course, with the fourth one, who was the original one, uh, he he was always you know he 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 always had to stay in the office late overnight. This night, see, he would tell his wife. His real, his first one. And oh, he made another classic mistake. If you want to hear, it, it, you know, it gets so complicated that it just really gets, it gets sickening. He married three of them simultaneously. Now, if you think your life is messed up, and most guys think they are, can you imagine a guy who's married to three women at once under three different names? Yes. He had an exciting time there for a while. You are curious where he is now? Well, outside of being very tired, are you curious where he is? Well, <laughs> they put him away for a long time, away from all the ladies. He, he he's <laughs> the last. The last report that I heard about him, he was in the Kentucky State Reformatory uh, for three cases of bigamy. Uh, they had him for, uh, uh, falsifying income. T- oh, he had all kinds of things going on him. It all It all built up, you see. And it started out very innocently in a drugstore. He came in, you know, for a, uh, for a cup of coffee, and he's sitting there waiting for somebody, and he sees this chick operating the, the, the hot plate. You know, she was a waitress back there. And one thing led to the other, and he took a look at her, you know, and she had, uh, she was, uh, how shall I put it? Uh, she was, uh, you know... And uh, there was a lot of her there, see, and it was all well-placed, see, so he looks at her and he says, hello, baby, and she says, hello, and uh, one thing led to the next, and he says, when are you off tonight? She says, well, I'm through at nine. He says, well, by George, isn't that a coincidence? I'll be free at nine, too. What do you say? <laughs> I pick you up in my convertible, which, uh, and by the way, he did not own a convertible, which uh, she then was very impressed by, and so he rushed out immediately to the Hertz people, and he rented a convertible. He showed up that night. And it, now, That's what he had to do, ultimately. See, already, see, he's building a double life. He owns a convertible. Well, every time he saw this chick, he had to show up in that damn convertible. Right from the beginning, he's in trouble. Well, it's a tangled web we we lead, I'll tell you. (laughs) And I think that the phone, seriously, is probably, to most guys, one of the scariest of all instruments. It's a very scary instrument. I'll tell you, that that phone can be bad news. Well, I'll... uh, 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 Have you ever had eerie things happen with the phone? Eerie, eerie. I mean, it's easy to develop a psychosis about phones. Because the telephone uh, connects you with the outside world, which is not always friendly. It can be exceedingly malevolent in a curious way. And I'm going to tell you a little story here, and it's a scary story. I really should. Give me my scary music, Jerry. I think we got it in there. It's very. Uh, this is a, this is a story. I'm going I to re- recommend that you uh, please tune away. I mean, if you've got uh, if you've got that uh, kind of nerve problem, most people are a little bit paranoid anyway. But it's easy to get that way, you know. And uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. Any, anything about it? Art. right, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a cue here. <laughs> well, it all started. See, I was. Uh... Do you do you think? Uh, that that mystery or or horror stuff is more effective in heat than in cold? That's that's an interesting question. Now, there's a psychological question there. In other words, have you ever seen many really effective horror pictures that took place in a very cold climate? No, I don't think so. Oh, there have been a couple of good SF pictures, but not really, uh, you know, scary. Because you, because cold climate, you don't associate the cold climate with the kind of stuff that we basically are afraid of, like tarantulas. I mean, <laughs> you know, things. Yeah, I mean it. I mean, I, I think I think we we most of us suspect that anything can come out of a jungle. And uh, because the jungle is there, it's it's there, you know, and and uh, this evil stuff can come out. Well, I'll tell you a story that I had happen to me with a phone, which I have never forgotten. Sometimes I wake up in a cold sweat, and I think about this because of uh, the curious thing that happened. This, this happened when I was going to school, and uh, I, was, I was working in Cincinnati. I had a summer job. Now, if you don't know anything about Cincinnati, I'll give you a clue. Cincinnati is considered to be, quite possibly next to St. Louis or hell, the hottest city for ball players to play in. Oh, it gets hot. Cincinnati is lying right in the bowl of the great Ohio Valley there, and it's like it's like some big parabolic reflector. And the sun sits over that parabolic reflector, and Cincinnati is right in the focal point of that parabola. And it gets so hot sometimes during the summer there that it is almost unbelievable, truly. I remember that summer, another thing happened in that summer. They had a... A truly fantastic wave of suicides in July. Yes, it was, it was, it was like every day three or four people would commit suicide. And any, uh, any good uh, psychologist and certainly a medical, uh, police physician will tell you that in the hot weather, this is the time that, uh, that we have a tremendous suicide rate. You know this, of course. And uh, especially in the spring, that's uh, that's another thing, that's another story. April is the cruelest month and all, you know. But it is to a lot of people. Well, this July, there were people killing themselves practically every hour on the hour, and I mean spectacularly. So much so that it began to be a big thing in town. They had big headlines, like, uh, you know, there'd be a big headline. It said, 15th suicide since first of the month. Uh... 21st suicide since first of the month. It's fantastic, and you know how you you, you you read stories like this. You generally read stories, and you don't relate yourself to them. It's just a story you read in the paper. Well, one day I got my lunch hour, and the the place where I was working was right smack in the middle of town in Cincinnati. You could smell the river, which was down about two or three blocks down, at <coughs> and the excuse me, and the Ohio River in the summertime, has a very distinctive river smell. It's a, it doesn't smell like a swamp. It smells like a river, you know. It's a very strong uh, earth smell. You can smell fish in the river, and you can smell the trees and the hills. And the temperature was running every day in Cincinnati at about 100, between 90, 95, 100, 110. Oh, it was hot. Not a breath of air stirring. So I'm walking... The bright sunlight. I'm walking out in the middle of town and I'm walking down the street heading towards the uh, Purple Cow, which is a place where I used to eat and uh, walking along with another guy. And I had just been reading about these suicides and we were talking about it. And the heat was just laying on us like some gigantic fat lady at a picnic. Just sitting on us, you know. Shoo, boy. Well, I don't know what made me do it. I happened to glance up. And I suddenly saw something just caught my eye. There was a building off to my left. And we were right next to this building. We're coming right up to it. And these are big buildings, like right in the middle of town, 10, 15, uh, 20-story buildings. I see something, and I look up, and I don't pay any attention. I look back down again. Then it hit me. Somebody's up there. I look up again, and sure enough, I see coming right out of the window, I see this figure turning over and over and over through the air. Just down, down, down it went. And it was, uh, I'd say, out of about a 15th or 16th story window. So it takes quite a bit of time for somebody to reach the ground from that height. And I saw them turn over and over and over. And they landed on on a low parapet of the building, right next to where I was standing. And I could hear them hit. You just hear this thump. Gee, it's, it's this it's a sound you'll never forget once you hear it. It's a strange sound. It doesn't sound like, well, it sounds like what it is. It sounds like a body falling from a great height, and it's distinctive. It just bloomp, like that. And I saw that number 22 had just made the headlines. Have you ever seen anybody do it? Well, once you do, the world is never the same after that. It changes you. It really seriously does. It changes your viewpoints. Well. That, that afternoon, and and th- all these things sort of came together. That very afternoon, I was was, uh, I was living in the Y. I don't know whether you've ever lived in the Y for any length of time, but it was really starting to get to me. I had this little room in the Y that that had uh, this battleship gray walls, you know, this, uh, this prison gray they paint things like that. And it was really getting me. And it was a tiny room, and I was depressed, and it was hot. And I had been looking for a place. And that afternoon, a guy I knew had gotten shifted out of town and was sent to some other city, and he said that I could rent his apartment, I could sublease it. Well, now, he did not have a listed phone and an unlisted telephone, which is a very important point to this thing. And I said, well, look, I'll just carry on your phone, uh, Max, and, uh, and I'll keep the phone, and that's all there is to it. So that night... I was kind of depressed, you see, because I had just seen this suicide, and it gives you very, it does things to your head, you know. And uh, that night, I, I, on my way back to this new apartment, it was the first night in that new apartment, which was strange anyway. And it was a basement apartment, it was actually below the surface of the ground, and it had little windows up at the top, which looked out at about the surface of the ground. And it was kind of a nice little apartment, but it was it was you know tiny and it was uh, below ground and it was an odd sort of a place and I had a curious feeling about it but uh, you know it was it was a certainly better than the Y. so I went over there and I took all my stuff and oh boy was it hot oh it was so hot I could hardly stand it I mean it, have you ever have you ever seen it get so hot that when you walk around the sweat causes these little red blotches on you and you, you constantly have this irritation under your eyes from the sweat running down. That's the kind of day it was. Well, I got back to the apartment that night, and I I lay down. It was kind of cool in this apartment because it was below ground. And at first I duck it. It's funny how a thing like this will make you change entirely in your attitude towards a place or a thing. And it was about 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night, and I came home early that night, and I lay down on the bed there. It was all furnished, you see. And he had a he had a strange patchwork quilt on the bed. I remember it was a very strange one, and it was uh, it was something that his grandmother had made. So he says, "Be careful of that. It's my grandmother's thing. You know, it's important." And had this odd furniture around it. Was, I was living in another p- person's house, in other words. So I'm lying on the bed. I fall asleep in the heat, and I kept waking up. Every time I'd wake up, I had this thing, where, I, where, where am I, you know? I'd wake up and I couldn't quite orient myself, where I was, where I was, and I was laying on the bed in my clothes. And I'd wake up again, oh, what, what, what? It was sort of half delirious when all of a sudden the phone rang. Well, I have a habit, any time the phone rings, of glancing at my watch. Now, I don't know why, I do. Strange habit, but there it is. So I glance at the watch... And I have a watch, of course, has radium dial on. I can see what time it is, and it's ten after three in the morning. The phone is ringing, so I figure it's my friend Max calling me to tell me something about the apartment or something. See, nobody knew I had this apartment. I had no number there or anything like that. So I stagger over to the phone and I pick it up and I say, "Yeah, hello, hello, hello." No answer. And I thought, well, it's a—it's obviously somebody's been expecting somebody else to answer, so it's a wrong number. So I said, Max isn't here, and I hung up. Figured they were calling Max. All right. End of the story, right? No. I go back to bed. This time, I get undressed. I'm going to go to bed now. I realize it's after three, and I'm getting kind of tired, and I'm feeling rotten. I have to get up in the morning, so I take my clothes off. I go back to bed. And I start to sleep. I just fell asleep. Went, bzz, this phone, bzzz, bzzz. I get up, I stagger over to this thing, and I pick it up again. Hello? 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 Nothing. I listened for a second and hung up. the last time it happened that night the next day i go to work i come home this time late i came home about one two o'clock in the morning i went out someplace with somebody and i'm again tired man and it is so hot i want to tell you this was like the seventh inner ring of dante's inferno and it was near in july it was getting in the middle of july nearing the end of july and the two big months for heat in cincinnati are about the middle of July through the middle of August. Oh, it's fantastic. It was really hot. It was about 105, and the humidity was about 95%. And two more people had committed suicide on that day. Big headlines. One guy shot himself, and one of the most bizarre uh, accidents or, or suicides i ever heard of in my life. I mean, can you imagine this strange act? Uh, b- bizarre. This guy uh, it, it allowed his car to crush him. He, he, he had a car, yes, he had a car, that, I'll never forget that suicide, it was on all of the papers, that he had a car that would creep in first gear. You know how some cars will creep in first gear? And uh, he set this thing in, in first gear, you know, automatic transmission, he set it in gear, and he got out of the car and it was creeping, you see, and he had a the concrete garage wall. He got between the wall and the car and he just waited for it to crush him, which it did get that one. So I'm, you know, I'm reading about this horror story and I come home and I, I, I it's about one o'clock in the morning and I get undressed. I take a shower and it was so hot. It was one of those miserable kind of uh, weeks when even the water that would come out of the the, the shower was lukewarm, you know. It came out with little tadpoles in it and stuff. And you know? I was like <laughs> just miserable. See? So, so I, I, I flop over on the bed there and I'm lying there reading and I figured, well, if I read a little bit, I'll I'll get sleepy. I wasn't really very sleepy. I was just kind of hot and miserable, so I read a little bit. And now it's about 2 o'clock, and I'm just starting to get drowsy when bzzz, bzzz, that phone. Well, at this point, I began to get a little bit nervous about it. Just the second day, I picked up the phone, and I said, hello. No answer. But I did something different this time. I... I listened very carefully to the phone. I listened, and I could hear a clock ticking, just faintly. Well, I knew they weren't going to answer, so I just hung up. It happened twice again that night. No answer, nothing and I could hear the clock ticking well that continued every night for the better part of a month which was how long I had that apartment and I want to tell you I was going out of my bird I I I, it got to the point where I was actually it, it started to get to me so much that I was actually afraid to come into that apartment and I'd see the phone so I call the phone company. I ask them, I says, you know, this thing is is uh, is, is doing this. What do I do? And and the, the woman says, hello, you know, on the phone company, the phone company. And I said, well, there's a guy or somebody, they're, they're, they're harassing me. They call at all hours of the night and they just don't say anything. Have they said any obscene messages? I said, no. Well, then it is not illegal. In other words, did you know that, that it's not illegal unless they say something obscene to you? you know that at least it was that way out there then I don't know what the law is on that now but I I discovered that that wasn't illegal and uh, (laughs) so and I couldn't change the number you see because I didn't have the number I was not it wasn't my phone he was uh, the guy that I was renting it from it was his phone and he would have to sign the order and he would have to get a new phone so I couldn't change the number I was sunk well this thing continued and then finally, the last night, when I finally moved back into the Y, it was unbelievable. The phone rang from roughly 1 o'clock in the morning till 6 o'clock, just when it began to get light. And the phone rang every three minutes. I timed it every three minutes. I'd hang up, and it would ring. I'd hang up, and it would ring. And then I'd decide to leave it ring. It would ring for 15 minutes. Have you ever been in an apartment with the phone ringing 15, 20 minutes steady? You sit there and look at it, I put a pillow on it to keep it quiet, and then I'd hear it ringing in the pillow. I'd hear that thing ringing in the pillow. Just ringing. I piled... I piled blankets on the phone. I'd I'd hear it... Somebody at the other end of that line with a clock ticking in the background with that soft, rhythmic, easy, steady breathing was after me, just after me, I knew it. So it was about six o'clock in the morning, with the phone still ringing, I get up out of my sack, and the phone is going under the great pile of pillows tried taking it off the hook one night, too. You know what they do when you take your phone off the hook? Have you ever heard them put that that emergency sound on a phone that's off the hook? Have you ever heard that? It goes, (laughs) I could take that for about two and a half minutes, friends. So at six o'clock in the morning, I took out my barracks bag and I loaded my stuff up with the phone buzzing behind me, with the temperature already hovering in the 105 degree mark at 6 a.m. and I could smell the first faint whiff of the river rolling in. And probably somewhere out in the distance, the 23rd suicide of the month was getting ready to jump off a windowsill. Maybe the 24th was watching him. The 25th was just waking up. The 26th was just getting home after a fantastic fight with his girl. The 28th! God, it goes on and on. I walked out of the apartment, got in my car, and drove across town to the Y. One groovy thing about the Y, they didn't have phones in the room. They had bugs, but no phones. Yeah, they did. I didn't mind bug. Little cockroaches once in a while, they were friendly. And I checked in. I walked up to the desk. And I remember Mr. Johnson, a tall, skinny man. I said, hi, Mr. Johnson. Well, by God, this is good to see you. What you doing here at this hour? I said, I want my room back, quick. Well, I don't know whether your room is still available. Let's see, we're in 603, weren't you? Yes, by George, the guy at 603 just checked out. Of course, he committed suicide yesterday, actually. Bad thing here. You sure you want 603? I said, what? He said, yes, he's a young fellow just checked in here at 603, and by God, he said, you know, Clarence, downstairs in the maintenance department found him the next morning. He slashed his wrist. Terrible thing. Police here and all that. You sure you want 603? It's all cleaned up, though. It's all right. I said, no, Mr. Johnson. Give me one on the eighth floor. i like a good clean arc. You know? And so I went up on the elevator all by myself. Um. Quiet. And checked into room eight oh three. Lay down. And I got my first night's sleep. My first night's sleep in a long time. So there's evil things out there. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a true story. I'm afraid. <laughs> the saga of room six oh one. your phone it's ringing you fool